You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Libertarian Country is one of the fastest growing and most popular liberty-themed apparel companies in the world. This American-based company was founded by two brothers out of Baltimore who had a vision to create an online store that offers fun, unique, and controversial political clothing and accessories. This five-star company offers the hottest shirts, hoodies, hats, and so much more. So check them out today. This is an independently-owned, liberty-loving business that basically gives you the exact type of apparel and paraphernalia that you've wanted anyway. You just didn't know you wanted it now. Every purchase you make using the link in the show notes allows a small part of your purchase to come back and support the show. So go on, go grab some awesome libertarian country swag using that link in the show notes. You'll thank me later. Okay, so hear me out. You like getting cash back for the normal stuff you buy throughout your week, right? Of course you do. Check out the Dosh app. That's D-O-S-H, Dosh. Dosh is available at the App Store and Google Play Store and securely connects to your credit or debit card. From there, every time you use those cards, Dosh searches for available offers. Once it finds one, Dosh automatically redeems the offer and converts it into cold, hard cash. Muchos dineros, brother! Then deposits that directly into your Dosh wallet. Click the link to download and join Dosh today and get $5 just for joining. This link is exclusively in the show notes of this episode. So, show notes, special link, Dosh, $5 cash. Start on the path to quick and easy cash back on the things you love today. You are in for a treat. Today, we're talking about leadership in action, organizational leadership, how to lead people, to be exact. And I couldn't have had anyone better come on than Cliff Maloney, Jr., president of Young Americans for Liberty, making an impact for freedom in your lifetime. We talk about his his triumphs, his challenges, what he wishes he knew when he first started. So, I mean, get your notepad because this is going to be a lot, people. Well, Cliff, I don't think we've spoken to each other since before the plague. So I'm I'm glad to see your smiling face and that everything is, you know, working out well, thanks to the amazing world that Zoom provides us. How's life been in the last couple months alone having to deal with all of this? Because with schools, you know, kicking students out, with communities completely, you know, shutting down to because of all the massive freakouts, whether it's the plague or riots. I mean, I, I can only imagine that things have been a little bit challenging recently. Yeah, it's been an interesting time. I uh, always appreciate you having me on, Remzo. So let's talk about it in terms of, you know, my programs at Young Americans for Liberty. You know, we had a couple months where we were able to knock in the beginning of the year, you know, do our door knocking programs. But then we had a couple months where we had to kind of adapt, um, not because it was illegal, but because it was a negative interaction at the door. You know, a lot of voters just were kind of turned off by somebody coming. And that was kind of in, let's say, like the uh, the, the April, May uh, creeping into June. But I'll tell you what, you know, as of July, uh, every single state that we're playing in, we're knocking in. Uh, it's very, very positive. The interactions at the door. I think America's kind of hopefully moving past this. Uh, obviously, it's a serious virus. We should take it seriously. Um, but I definitely think there have been some, you know, some some kind of ebbs and flows of of fear and, and trying to figure out best solutions. Um, and then on a personal note, it's been interesting traveling. 
because, uh, you know, airports are very different city to city. Um, and it's just different wherever I am, state by state. Uh, some states, you know, if you travel through, they want you to quarantine for 14 days. Um, other states, you know, it's wide open. Um, so I think we're learning a very, very good lesson in decentralization um, and that people should be able to make choices based on the local uh, situations they're in. Um, I wish more people would have went the route of South Dakota uh, and letting people choose. I'm not saying that you should not wear a mask, but I think that people should have the option to go to work or to leave their house, um, which uh, I think we're seeing that. So it's crazy time. The other thing I'll add is I think it creates an opportunity. I think uh, both COVID, these riots with Black Lives Matter, uh, I think these are all audiences that are being created. And I think uh, as an advocate and somebody who believes in uh, an ideology of liberty, uh, I think uh, this is something that allows us to have attention and to, to, to take a message to people. So I'd really encourage everybody out there, you know, use this to present solutions. Um, usually people are apathetic. Usually people could give a shit. Excuse my French. But this <laughs> actually gives people an interest. And they're saying, yeah, you know, you're right. Should one woman in Michigan be able to tell me I can't leave my house? That is pretty crazy. So I'm trying to look at it as an opportunity, uh, but obviously hoping, uh, you know, we can continue to get over the hump in terms of recoveries. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I really respect the mindset that you've gone into the situation with. One of the first things I did when I was basically kicked out of my office and told to just hunker down for as long as this whole thing was going on was I, I started reading more. And one of the books I picked up was Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, the, the stoic thinker. And one of the biggest things that I've had to ask myself, especially as I was taking all the stuff that he was dealing with as emperor of Rome and applying it to my my, my small impact in the world is how, how do I come out of the situation stronger? How do I come out of the situation better? And this is where I really want to, you know, co come into our real topic today. Um, it's, you know, leadership in action, finding, you know, yourself in opportunities that you would either expect and not expect. And Cliff, when it comes to your evolution, going from student to congressional staffer to now the president of Young Americans for Liberty, having expanded it to not only its, you know, its mission with the campus side of things, but also with Operation Win at the Door. I mean, I got to ask, years back when you found out you were going to, you know, be thrusted into this position, what opportunities excited you? I mean, what, what were some of the challenges that worried you? I can only imagine being a young person dealing with all this immense responsibility. What was that like? Yeah, so I was 25 when I took over YL. And, uh, you know, the country was in an interesting time. This is back in 2016. And uh, 2017, you know, was kind of my first big full year. But I think, uh, you know, we were in an interesting time where, you know, there's a lot of people who focus on short-term battles and short-term fights. Uh, you look at presidential races, U.S. Senate races, and look, these things have tremendous impact, don't get me wrong. But the impact you can have uh, in terms of, you know, redirecting or, or, or trying to focus and change the trajectory of the country, I think it depends really heavily on, playing more of a long game, you know, changing the infrastructure, building the infrastructure, disrupting the system, if you will. And so I think one of the things that scared me when I took over YAL was this idea of, you know, is incremental change enough and how incremental does it have to be to create real change? And so one of the things that, you know, you're obviously familiar with, and I hope a lot of your listeners are familiar with, you know, in 2018, we launched the program, Operation Went at the Door. And the idea was, look, we really want to figure out how to take all these students we've recruited 
all this energy we have, all these young people who care about these principles of liberty. By that, I mean free markets, I mean civil liberties, and I mean peace. You know, those students that are interested, they've got this energy. How do we utilize the energy? And obviously, through Operation Win at the Door, you know, we decided, hey, we'd like to spend our time door knocking. We think that's the most effective way, the best bang for our buck to go out and move the needle in elections. But more importantly, I'd argue, was our strategic decision to try to build a bench at the state level across the country. Um, we wanted to do something where the establishment couldn't just buy us out, where the establishment couldn't come in and, you know, just destroy us on congressional races because they're going to spend $15 million. For a U.S. Senate race, like Ted Cruz and Beto, where they spend a combined $150 million. You know, if you think you have an impact as a, as a college student on a race like that, it's just tough to think that. And so I'd say my biggest challenge was trying to figure out, you know, how we create real change and do it in a way that's measurable, tangible, and scalable. And uh, the jury's still out. You know, Operation Win at the Door, some people would call it a great success, but we've still got to prove ourselves. We've still got to continue to win. We've got 56 victories so far, um, those being, you know, people that are actually sworn into office. We've got a, a bunch of primary victories already this year. But the idea is to get to 250 across the country. You know, if I have 250 Nick Freitas's elected to state legislatures across the country, uh, there's your revolution overnight. There's your systematic change. There's your infrastructure change to people who truly want to make liberty win. Um, so that's been my, I don't want to say my biggest fear, but that's been what's kind of driven me to get out of bed in the morning and continue to take you out to new heights is this idea of let's make sure we're creating real change, uh, not because we owe it to the activists or owe it to the investors, but because we owe it to the ideas of liberty to find out how to be effective and, uh, like we say, to actually make liberty win. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, you kept touching on it. It's understanding that common goal. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? And how do we do it? One, we're doing it because we, ha we have shared principles. We want to expand peace and freedom and individual liberty in our lifetime. And secondly, how do we do it? And how do we do it well and continually adapt? It, it's those type of things that a lot of people, they, they tend to put the cart before the horse on because, you know, I know when, when I was in charge of soldiers at the age of 1920, it was often, you know, it, it was incredibly intimidating. I'm young. I have to go ahead and remind them of the shared purpose and make sure that we can go ahead and get that accomplished. And even though, you know, times were tough, I obviously wasn't perfect. It's constantly reminding myself, why are we doing it? How are we doing it? And what are we going to do to get those results that kept me on track and kept the, you know, just the whole team working together. And uh, th that's where I kind of want to lead to our second question. It it's funny, John C. Maxwell, the, the leadership expert who's written like God knows how many books, he says that often the one thing that really excites people when they're put into a position of leadership is that they get to lead people and accomplish things. He also says that their biggest fear is having to work with other people. Um, when working with students across the country, what were some of the skills and habits that you wish for them to have learned by the time they left school? Because you're, you're working with them at this very impressionable age where they're really excited, but they might get intimidated by the process of organizing on campus. And then to get them more involved after they leave is also a bigger leap. What, what were some of the things that you as a leader wanted to go ahead and have them develop for themselves? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I mean, when we do any of our trainings at Young Americans for Liberty, we typically break it down into two systems, um, one being the tactics and one being the ideas, right? So you always want to have a deep dive on all the ideas, but the reality is the tactics are politically neutral. 
They're still, they're philosophically and ideologically neutral, right? The tactics, I mean, you could have any belief and a lot of time the tactics, tactics are going to be the same. So what I'd say is this, I'd say, look, the, the real trick is people can have emotion. A lot of times today you see talking points and rhetoric and, you know, there's emotion everywhere. But the real trick is the discipline to be effective. And I don't, I mean, there's no secret sauce that's like, hey, if you do X, you know, you will succeed at advancing an idea. But what you shouldn't do is continue to make the same failed mistakes year in and year out, election cycle through election cycle, or ballot initiative through ballot initiative, et cetera, et cetera. And so one of the things I really push our activists to do is look to the past, you know, learn lessons from others' failures. I always say, listen, don't spend any money learning lessons uh, from my failures that I've already made. You can learn that for free. Just ask, right? So a lot of the trainings that we do, yes, they're focused on campus outreach. A lot of our trainings are focused on political outreach in terms of campaigns and how to speak to voters and how to run effective campaigns. But I'd really encourage people, build a plan, figure out what it's going to cost, and look to see if there are ways that you can learn from others that have done it in the past. And I'll give you an example. You know, we have candidates that come to us all the time, young people that say, hey, I want to run for office and I want to run as an independent because, you know, I want to do that. Or I want to run as constitution or I want to run as LP. And I always say to folks, well, what's your objective? And if a lot of people say, you know, oh, well, I want to win. I say, "Okay, well, show me how you can win by doing that. Show me a plan that's worked in the past or show me how your plan is different from these 50 other candidates that we've vetted. Because we've done some candidates that have been independent or LP in the past. And I'm always telling people, like, I'm open to test anything if there's a rational belief that it can be successful. But I think that's a big test for any activist is, look, if you want to be effective, figure out something that can work, test it, and when it works, scale the hell out of it. And I think that's been my frustration with a lot of the, not the liberty movement, but a lot of individuals who... You know, they think they've got some brand new idea and they want to just go all in. Well, it's like, well, hold on. 30 other people have done the same exact thing and they failed. You just didn't do the homework to realize that. So I'm not saying we shouldn't have innovative ideas. I'm not saying we shouldn't test things out. But I'm saying let's have a real plan, figure out what it's going to cost, dollars and cents, do it, and then evaluate. The simple way that we teach is plan, prepare, act, and evaluate. And if you're not doing all four, you have a problem. Because the evaluation at the end is just as important as actually, you know, acting. Because you need to be able to continue to learn and improve your systems. You've seen that with Win at the Door. I mean, we, from the beginning, if you look, ask Justin Grice what we did back in 2018 versus what we're doing now. We're evolving. We're learning what works and we're doubling down and we're finding what doesn't work and we're not doing it. And I think that that's got to be the consistent effort if you want to run effective campaigns and be effective at advocacy. Absolutely. I mean, the I think the common saying is the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And we see this everywhere. And something that I, I really do love about Young Americans for Liberty is that for a lot of people, especially when they're really going into adulthood, when they're jumping into college, they're away from home, they're away from friends and family for the first time, this is really their first time to be a leader whether it's being in charge of their own campus chapter or just being in charge of you know, specific events or being tasked with the responsibility of doing something that without their effort, 
they won't get the results. Um, year after year with the thousands of college students that you've had the opportunity to work with a mentor over the years, what were some of the common obstacles you see a lot of these young leaders encounter, especially on the campus level? Yeah, I think a lot of it's getting started. I think a lot of times people don't realize that, you know, once you're able to get started, the competition out there when it comes to trying to advance ideas or organize, to be fair, it really isn't that tough. And I don't mean that like it's going to be easy, but it is pretty simple, right? So I think one of the obstacles I have is people, one, don't ask for help. So I'd ask a lot of people, you know, come to us at YAL. We literally exist. We raise the funds. We have staff. We have resources to help you. So if you're looking to get involved, I mean, the first obstacle is ask for help and let's just get started. Because everybody, when they start, thinks you have to build some empire. You have to, you know, be able to host some event with 5,000 people. It's just not the case. I mean, if you can put together, you know, if the first step is having your informational meeting, you get five people to show up to that, you're on your way. You know, and we can teach you how to do these things. So I always tell people, get started. The other thing is I always tell folks, have measurable objectives. Now, this is something you'll read in any business book, in any book on pretty much any organizational structure. But even at the most local level, figure out what your objectives are, you know, and it can be as simple as saying, I want my, you know, regular meetings on campus to have 10 individuals. And we want to host a speaker that has at least 50 people come out by the end of the semester. Okay, great. But set something you can measure success by, because if you just consistently are in this like vicious cycle of, oh, we're trying to grow, we're trying to grow, we're trying to reach more people, you can kind of lose sight of the idea that you've had some success. So I think setting measurable objectives helps you to have some small battles in this bigger war when it comes to advancing an idea. So reach out for help, set measurable objectives will be the two things I'd say to those trying to get off the ground. Definitely. And I mean, even on more of a macro level, I mean, you've, you've mentioned it before. Don't, don't pay for a class on how to learn from other people's mistakes when you can just reach out to people and just ask them, when did you mess up and how did you get better? Because anyone that has been in a position, whether it's in business or whether it's through philanthropy or activism, what have you, everyone has done it. Anyone that that says that they haven't is obviously lying or that moment's about to come and they're not going to be prepared for it. But, you know, leadership style is also a thing. I mean, some of the stuff I saw with other student organizations was sometimes the dynamic of the team was what really made it that make or break moment. Some people are just way too hands off. Some people are just way too dictatorial with it. Um, You know, the, the thing that I tell people is understand who you are as a person, understand the group of people that you need to communicate communicate with and work with and adapt your style as needed. Um, how would you say that your leadership style has evolved over the year? I mean, your role has expanded drastically just in the last couple of years. What's it like having to encounter these situations and change kind of how you interact with people? Yeah. So look, it's a, it's a pretty humbling moment. You know, Yale has gone from roughly a $2 million a year organization to 7 million last year with the opportunity this year, potentially getting over 10 million. Um, and I don't, I don't look at that growth just based on dollars. I look at that growth based on, you know, impact and the outcomes that we're delivering. Um, so I would say this, look, I, I view my role as me being at the bottom of the totem pole, me being at the bottom. It's an inverse pyramid at YAL. What I mean by that is, you know, I'm way at the bottom because I'm the furthest thing from the real impact, right? The top of the pyramid was what I was doing back in 2011 through 2013 when I was on campus right, which is the real impact are the students that are recruiting other students and then the students that are door knocking and talking directly to the voters, right? I'm the furthest from that. 
I'm meeting with investors. I'm doing media. I'm speaking to students, sure, when I go to campus. But they're the ones doing the actual mission of the organization. They're the ones doing the real work that brings about societal change and that recruits this youth army. So I think the one thing I'm, I'm open about um, is that I am. I am the furthest thing from the impact. Now, I, I, I am blessed. I am humbled. I have to pinch myself every day that I get to, you know, literally travel the country to support the ideas I believe in and these principles of free market, civil liberties, and peace, which I think is, is, is a beautiful message that should resonate with uh, anyone, any decent individuals. This message is about, you know, free will. And as Matt Kibbe would say, you know, don't hurt me and don't take my shit. Uh, excuse my French. He would say stuff. But um, I think that's what it's, it's really about is understanding I am the furthest thing from the impact, but me staying motivated by seeing the individuals who are doing the outreach on campus and seeing the individuals who are going door to door to have these conversations. That's, that's one of the biggest things I've taken away from my experience. There, there's a lot to take from that. I mean, when we look at where, where we are and where we came from, and then we look at who's actually going out and doing that, that that's the amazing thing about getting to work with people. Because if you create, if you, solidify these leadership principles in yourself and you help other people develop them, they'll go out and they'll make 10 more. And then those 10 will make a hundred more. And then those hundred will make thousands more. And then it gets you to where you are today. Um, Here's my last question. Then we'll go to some of the user submitted questions. Folks, just remember, you can go ahead and submit questions on uh, my Instagram account. Just, hey, Remso, hey, Remso, click on the stories. And I'm usually uh, letting you know who's coming up and what we're going to talk about. So that way you can go ahead and ask these people anything that really pops up to your, you know, pops up in your mind. But, um, you know, this is why I ask everybody because this is the one that kind of stumps them. If you could go back in time and meet like your 20 year old self for just 10 minutes, what were the things that Cliff now would tell Cliff then to kind of prepare yourself himself, however time travel and that shit works for the things that he's going to encounter? Wow. That's a great question. Um, so what I would say is this, I'd say, don't be afraid um, to, one, jump into the spotlight in a way that is, um, you know, being yourself. Um, Isaac Morehouse and the guys over at Praxis and Crash, they talk a lot about, you know, this idea of, of really standing up to imposter syndrome, you know, that it's like, look, you know, you might think that I'm, you know, myself, this is how I felt. If I'm just some kid from Philadelphia, um, I believe in these principles, but like, who the hell am I? Right. And it took me a while, like when I started to do media interviews and television to get to the point where it's like, you know, I don't have to say to myself every time, like, well, you know, I shouldn't be here. Right. You just kind of have to jump in. If you don't assume the sale, they're like, no, hell, I should be here. Right. I do have a message I want to get out there. And I don't mean that as ego or com- it's, it's more it's more the confidence that, you know, you have to do it to get over the hump to get other people to buy in. So I think that'd be the first thing to say is, is getting over the imposter syndrome and just you know, diving in and trying to be bold and realize you're going to make mistakes. Um, the second thing I'd say is everyone should read the book Good to Great uh, by Jim Collins. This book changed my life. Um, it just changed the entire trajectory of YAL. Uh, and, and one of the major things he talks about is having a hedgehog. You know, hedgehogs, they put their head down and they dig. They focus. They pick the one thing. His, his, his analogy is Pick the one thing that you can be the best in the world at and own it. And he said, you might think you're going to lose investors or you think you're going to lose activists or you're going to lose support, but you're going to gain so much because your message will be clear. There will be clarity. 
You won't get distracted by shiny objects. U.S. Senate races, they're sexy, but they're shiny objects, right? We can't move the needle in a U.S. Senate race by 10 points. State legislative races, we have a full plan, soup to nuts. We find the candidates, we find the students, we raise the funds, we deploy the door knockers and win, and then we hold them accountable. We've got a full plan across the board. If I would have read Good to Great earlier in my life, I would have been able to understand this, and I highly recommend it. Any entrepreneur, anyone running an organization, anyone trying to build anything, even if it's in the media industry, if it's, if it's writing, if it's journalism, figuring out a niche is extremely important and I wish I could go back and tell my 20-something you know, self. I'm 29 now. If I was 20, I wish I could tell myself to read that book sooner um, and understand it. And the last thing I'd say is uh, you know, understand that there is a, 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 a desire for people to think, you know, hey, you can fundraise or you can get activists excited by painting a negative picture or by saying how bad it is out there. This is a fact. We live in the most prosperous and peaceful times in human history. And those of us that are lucky enough to be in America, that is especially true. I, I cannot understate how much it pisses me off to see how many people in our generation don't realize just how good we have it. The amount of opportunity, the amount of, of access, the, the drastic drop in poverty across the globe, um, all amazing things. And I think we... I'm not saying all of us don't appreciate it, but even even those of us who do, we should it's really- easy to get wrapped up in in the constant 24 seven fear mongering we see on TV and online. I mean, it's it's just it's it's something that even really optimistic people tend to fall into. You're 100 percent right, and so I always push individuals to say, "Look, like we need to overcome that. Um, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable for 52 percent of the country, you know, to think that." Uh, you know, we're living in the worst times. I mean, it's just, it's just not correct. Um, so I just would really push folks to, to focus and try to be optimistic. And I would have told myself at 20 that even though I had that worldview, I need to triple down on it. And I think the more that we can be happy Liberty Warriors, that you leave with a positive message, um, that will resonate with people. People want to create. People want to be victors. They don't want to be victims. But society is pushing everybody, and especially the socialist collectivist type mindset. I mean, that is what we're fighting against is this push to be a victim. And uh, we need to say boldly to hell with that. We are not victims. We have opportunities. This is a great time to be alive. Society is extremely advanced and we should embrace that. I, I agree 110%. Uh, Cliff, I've just got a few of the user submit questions before I got to let you go. And folks, I'll make it easier. I'll go ahead and put the, the the Amazon link for good to great in the show notes today. So after this, if it's already gotten you excited, just go ahead and click on that and you can get shipped in no time. The internet's an amazing thing. Am I right? Okay. This one is from Ian Seska over on Instagram. Uh, and this is kind of getting into the weeds of it a little bit especially when dealing with libertarians. I mean, I think the joke is you put five libertarians in the room and you ask them to find what libertarianism is and you'll get like 10 different answers. But what is the best way to bring people into the movement who may not share all our views? Yeah, it's a great question. So thank you for that. I would say this, look, I think people underestimate that you have to reach people where they are. And most people, we have to understand, most people are nowhere. (laughs) <laughs> what I mean by that is, you know, one, you need an audience. And I think COVID and Black Lives Matter, as I've stated, that gives you an audience. But I think we need to realize, like, what intrigues people? What interests people? And I think you got to figure out 
how to do that. Now, look, I'm not talking about mass communication. I'm talking about if you have a coffee meeting with somebody, if you're messaging with somebody, if it's really a one-on-one with somebody you're already connected with, that's a very different approach than doing like social media outreach or trying to get woke, you know, memes on, on social media, (laughs) very different things. But if you're talking one-on-one, I think you should try to meet people where they're at. And most people are going to be in a spot where they have a few things they're interested in, but they're not that well-versed. I'm not calling people idiots. They got to make their mortgage. They're trying to put food on the table. They're trying to raise a family. They're trying to get married, et cetera, right? Find out where they're at, what interests them, meet them there. Another way I'd answer that is, look, if somebody is starting to show interest and they're engaging and they're, they're starting to be you know, on our side on a couple issues, don't try to get them to read Atlas Shrugged. Don't try to get them to read Hyatt. Don't try to get them to read these novels or these books or these things that are thousands of pages. Don't send them to the political jargon BS. You know, no offense, Remzo, I know you're an author. I'm not putting you in this category. But, like, don't, don't send them to the books that are, like, written by the folks that it's, like, you know, some political tribalism book. I tell people, if you tell somebody online to go read Man, Economy, and State by Murray Rothbard, that's almost like saying, go fuck yourself. That's basically <laughs> right. it. <laughs> so if, I, if, I, if, if you did have somebody that was intrigued enough, one, I'd get them, I'd get them listening to some podcasts. But two, I'd re- if they're really like, hey, I want to read one book. One of the, the, the most successful things I've had is getting people to read Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. And the reason is, I think it is the simplest read that actually has some meat on the bones that gets people engaged enough that usually if they can get through that, they will be lifers when it comes to the principles of liberty. So meet people where they're at. If they start to engage, get them to listen to some liberty podcasts. And then from there, I'd really push them. Don't drown them in it, but get them to read Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. I think it is the, the best read for newcomers to the movement. I couldn't agree anymore. Um, and this is from Stephen Kent. This is obviously alluding I, to I have, your background. I have a rule. I don't take questions from Stephen Kent. But go ahead. <laughs> we'll make an exception. What is your dream role in the movie or stage play? I think this is alluding to your background in theater. Oh, man. Thank you, Stephen Kent. So most people don't find out. I do have a BA in theater arts. Um, got to have some fun in college. I played Billy Flynn in Chicago, uh, Glenn Gulia in The Wedding Singer, which is uh, Drew Barrymore's uh, asshole fiance uh, in the movie. Um, I, I had a lot of fun. Directed three shows in college. I, I do miss my theater days. Um, I recently performed in a community theater show here, a, a farce uh, called Rumors, um, that was uh, a lot of fun. I, I had a cameo role. That, uh, that they allowed me to do because I was on the road 300 days last year, but somehow we, we pulled it off. My dream role, um, it would probably either, in a musical, it would probably be Shrek, um, <laughs> which is, t- it would either be probably Shrek or Lord Farquaad. Um, if you guys have ever seen the stage show, Lord Farquaad actually plays the entire role on his knees um, to, to appear to be very short. I was about to ask how that works. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's kind of funny. They usually actually get taller guys to do it because then when you're on your knees, you're not that short. Um, but it's a very demanding role. The other one I'd say, there's a, a very dramatic musical called Next to Normal uh, that deals with mental health. And uh, playing the dad, I think uh, my, my wife, Grace, makes fun of me because I, I really connect well with, uh, with pretty depressing or dramatic uh, uh, musical numbers. And uh, even in Shrek, my favorite my favorite uh, song is Who I'd Be, which is him kind of talking about 
uh, being an ogre and who he'd be if he wasn't an ogre. And it's a very deep connecting song. Um, but pr probably playing uh, the father, uh, the dad in Next to Normal, who really is coping with his wife going through some some tough mental health and uh, certain things. There's some really deep songs there. Uh, but for fun roles, I did play uh, Gaston in Beauty and the Beast in high school. And that to me was uh, uh, an ego trip, if you will. Um, but uh, I'm always open to getting back on the stage. I think theater has a great way to, to, to really force people to connect with your audience. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's, uh, it's prepared me for the political world. And I mean that in the most uh, cynical way possible. Uh, I was about lot, to say. <laughs> a lot of folks, you know, you realize that uh, Stephen will tell you about this. Um, uh, Jordan uh, King, who I've done some work with. I mean, some of these guys I know from LI as well that have done some some theater work. I mean, it's tough to admit, but yeah, I mean, look, you're trying to connect with an audience, right? You're trying to connect with individuals and I'm very authentic and genuine in my beliefs, but trying to figure out ways to connect with them. Uh, the theater world has helped me to understand, um, you know, you've got to come across in a way that, that people can hear, that they can understand. And uh, when I rage quit the Liberty Movement, that will be my passion, uh, will be to get back on the stage and uh, get back involved in the community. It's kind of a shame right now, even, even where I'm at off of uh, Eglin Air Force Base, I'm here because my wife's uh, stationed here. Um, you know, even the community theater here, they've had to cancel a lot of their shows. And I think it's a great outlet for folks. And, uh, you know, I hate that a lot of theater becomes political, but uh, I have an op-ed that's coming out. And uh, there's this group called the Washington Times. You might know them. Uh, we have an op-ed huh. coming out this week about Hamilton, and uh, I make a pretty big pitch that I think that uh, the conservatives and libertarians both should appreciate the fact that uh, people are actually talking about the founding of this country and those principles. Um, so I think there's interesting ways to use theater to uh, to get those ideas out. If there was ever a play that even the most like non-theater-going people all have an opinion about, it's it's certainly Hamilton and. I, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent. Like I, I, I listened to that soundtrack as I was knocking doors. Like it, like as I'm driving from one neighborhood to another, I'm, I'm thinking of guns and ships. Like it was always the, the scenes where Washington came in. It just got me all pumped up. And then I tell people that and they're like, Oh, don't you know that it's all this SJW stuff and it's liberal revisionism. I'm like, shut up. I love it. Leave it look, alone. Look, look, here's what I tell people. The fact that young people in this country are talking about the idea that George Washington stepped down from being president and relinquished power. The idea that we fought a government over a tax on tea. I don't care what anybody says. Listen, yeah, does it have more of a Hamilton bent? Do they talk about a federal bank? Sure, there are things I'm gonna disagree with, yes. But my gosh, you're penetrating a conversation that we can't have with anybody. We can't get an audience to talk about the idea of what it means to, to, to make government power smaller. Um, and now I have kids who would tell me they're diehard liberals, you know, singing one last time and <laughs> repeating George Washington's farewell address. Uh, you can look at it a million ways. It's definitely a win. Um, and, you know, now it's time for us to write the, uh, the Jefferson musical or figure out a way to, uh, to present our side. But uh, those principles of that conversation, having people thinking about principles uh, in itself is a victory for all of us. If we could get Zack Snyder to produce a Thomas Jefferson musical with go. all of that in there. I don't think he's ever done musicals, but I have a feeling that would be awesome. Oh my gosh. I would, I, I'd just be like, shut up and take my money. 
Uh, anyway, Cliff, it's been an absolute blast. I've taken a lot away from this. I know our listeners have definitely benefited from this. If people want to, you know, catch up with everything you're doing with YAL, all that stuff, how could they do so? Yeah, head on over to yaliberty.org. We have a huge event, Mobilize 2020, coming up in Dallas, August 6th through 8th. I would love to have some folks attend. Uh, About 1,000 students, 100 elected officials, about 250 investors. Uh, We're obviously taking precautions uh, in the middle of COVID, so we'll be releasing those shortly. Um, But yaliberty.org, and you can check us out on social, uh, at yaliberty, and I am at Liberty Cliff on most platforms, at Real Cliff Maloney. Uh, on a few other platforms. Uh, but Remzo, appreciate you as always uh, giving me the time and uh, appreciate what you're doing, man. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much, Cliff. Folks, if you love conversations like this, if you're benefiting from this, please do me just one favor. Share it with a friend. Set, text it, message it. You know how Al Gore's amazing internet works. But also remember, you know, the show moves and evolves and ebbs and flows based off your impact, based off your engagement. Go ahead and follow me everywhere at Hey Remso. I'm on all the platforms. I'm on Parlor just at Remso because I was able to snag that one. If you're on there and you ever see Remso 2 pop up, message them and call them a loser. As always, I'm Remster W. Martinez. You're listening to On The Run. I'll talk to you later. Good night. Check out our other shows and more from the We Are Libertarians Network at wearelibertarians.com.